welcome back to the Fight for Season podcast. I am your host, Uncle Fox, Tone. And this next guest we have is producer and national correspondent for Any Countries Today. And she's an enrolled member of the Pasquale Tribe of Tucson, Arizona. And her name is Karina Dominguez. How are you doing, Karina? Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. Thanks for taking the time out to get on the podcast and talk a little bit. Absolutely. Honor, honor to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, no problem. So um, what you've been up to the, this past week? I've seen the voting um, article you had, uh, I think, up in, uh, in the Navajo in country. In Yeah. Yeah, it was in Navajo country. Exactly. It was Navajo Nation uh, up in Cayenta, Arizona, Protect the Sacred and Indian Collective and partnered on putting together a, you know, get out the vote effort. So it was called Skate to the Polls. Uh, so they did that to really try and, you know, directly um, address these issues of voter mm-hmm. suppression. Yeah, There's been, you know, a lot of issues, especially for Navajo Nation pe- uh, people, especially, you know, when they're in more rural areas, um, as far as some of the, the laws that have kind of targeted early voting, ballot collections, um, even going as far as um, unenrolling mm-hmm. voters who aren't active in four years. So there's been a lot of, you know, different efforts in that realm. So, you know, these two organizations took that very seriously and they wanted to, you know, do the skate to the polls event to make sure that they were reaching, you know, specifically native youth on tribal lands. So oh, it was great. Nice. Uh, I wish I could have actually been out there. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, they were really kind. They shared their video and, uh, yeah, and I was able to, you know, produce a little story and uh, talk to Ali Young over there. So it was great. They did a good job, and they have more events com- coming up as well. So Oh, oh good, because, you know, we, we have a lot of votes in Arizona, at, you know, in the American community, and so we just got to get everyone registered, you know, and that was a good idea to, you know, go out there and uh, get that on there. So yeah, good. it's really important, especially, you know, at this last election, we, we saw how important that Native American vote was. Um, and I think it's really been, you know, undercounted and underestimated. Um, but, you know, we're definitely seeing a lot more civic engagement these days. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that continues, you know, going into this uh, next election here. In yeah. The midterms. Yeah, it's, it's going to be big, especially, you know. Um, when we're going to go for governor and things like that, you know, so that, that the governor uh, voting is going to be big. So that's something we're going to have to hit pretty hard on that for the voting. Yes, there's got to be a lot of uh, get out the vote efforts. And I know they have things planned. I know Ali uh, Young said that they were planning on doing a state to the polls event on the Navajo Nation mm-hmm. um, or not a state to the polls. I'm sorry. It was a ride to the polls. So it's going to be a horseback ride. Oh, wow. So she yeah, she actually had started that. I believe she said back in 2019 or so. Um, so, yeah, so they'll be continuing that effort as well. So, yeah, it'll be, you know, cool to see that happening and. You know, definitely, like you said, following some of these races, you know, really closely, especially, you know, important races like governor and yeah. other congressional seats and whatnot. But, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So um, I was looking back on some of your history. You, you, it says that you worked for a lot of broadcasting before you got to Indian Country, huh? Yes. Yeah. I've, you know, always kind of been involved in uh, some realm and. <clears throat> the first time I ever got paid <laughs> as a journalist for, <laughs> yeah. you know, my reporting. Yeah. Um, I was a freshman in, in college and I had, I believe, a freshman or a sophomore. I think I was a freshman. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was working for the State Press, which was the student-run newspaper. And it wasn't really for the newspaper portion. I was doing videos. Uh, it was more like documentary storytelling and really just kind of letting the subject tell their own story mm-hmm. um so that was really fun it was you know a different kind of challenge and you know i really enjoyed doing that and you know meeting different athletes at asu and doing these different profiles um it was a great time i was really glad to you know work with the video editor i had at that time but yeah you know that was the first time i got paid but i've worked at you know several places including you know cbs i was working in new york and mm-hmm. working you know several different newsrooms there and uh, also, you know, even locally at the CBS in Tucson and, yeah. uh, you know, as you mentioned, now I'm at Indian Country today. Is there a lot of uh, opportunities for an American in journalism? Um, I think 
there's more than people realize and mm-hmm. i think they could you know definitely I, I i'm just i wish more people would you know i wish younger generations um would see that you know there are so many different career opportunities out there yeah um you know i wish that was something that people understood and if they wanted to they could yes um but at the same time it is very difficult you know and i do recognize that and um you know it, it definitely is you know, not easy. There's definitely different barriers and different challenges, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when I was noticing, you know, in college, you know, not having the same amount of things or not having nice things. Like everyone had MacBooks and and I was mostly (laughs) working on like a pen and a paper, you know, and that's how I preferred to take my notes in class. And, and it was weird because like I was the only kid doing that, you know, and and just things, you know, like there were certain classes where it was like you had to have an iPhone to take that class because, wow. you know, everything they were shooting, yeah, we're on iPhones and I didn't have an iPhone, so I didn't have an opportunity to take that class. So there were little things like that, you mm-hmm. know, and even in some classes, you know, I know we had discussions about it and just, you know, when someone is obligated to work, you know, a certain amount of hours to make ends meet you know and other people don't really have this kind of obligations they're definitely able to take you know more opportunities and take on more things that you know will kind of put them ahead a little bit more than you know someone else who's got to spread themselves a little more thin you know to get the same thing done so so there's definitely challenges and you know especially when you look at smaller markets and people first starting out especially in broadcast journalism it's not easy and a lot of these smaller markets you know you don't make a lot of money it's really about the experience so yeah you know how many people from indigenous communities or any you know other you know group that's you know in a lower socioeconomic status Mm -hmm. um you know it's going to be harder for them to make that kind of job work for them and get that kind of experience you know whereas there's certain people who you know have family help and their families paying their rent and you know, whatever the case may be to help them get to that next level where they are making, you know, better money or, you know, yeah, more stable income somewhere else. So, so there's definitely challenges, but <clears throat> there's different ways, you know, you can kind of work through those things. Yeah. And it seems like for you, like if you were to do like a, a journal, like a story it, on any kind of uh, Native American issue, it's kind of like a, it turns out to be a political issue, doesn't it? Like, I mean, like not nah, a lot of people are interested in some of the issues i mean like 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 on channel 3 tv or any other i don't see too many name american you know um stories come up only once in a great while but it seems like um you know we need to be heard out there a lot so you know like with the yeah, country definitely. out there yeah that's a very good you know interesting point that you bring up as well mm-hmm. a lot of times you know i even felt like you know in more mainstream media organizations that I was being almost called biased, you know, just for being who I am, you Mm -hmm. know, who I am is very different than a lot of these people who are running these organizations. So, you know, in my, you know, opinion from the way I see it, you know, they're biased as well. So I think everyone's got their own idea of, you know, what bias is and, and especially when it comes to tribes, because there is the whole um, tribal sovereignty, you yeah. know, portion of it. That is such a big part. Like, yeah, we're, you know, definitely different culturally and, you know, we have our distinct, um, you know, traditions and values, but, you know, even more than that, we do have political standing that's on par with mm-hmm. municipal, you know, governments, local governments, state governments, you know, federal governments, like, you know, we're all, you know, we're we're a government too you know people have people who cover county you know board of supervisors and you know maybe more you know different specific you know state you know legislature and things like that but you know most often you know they don't have someone who reports on tribal governments tribal politics tribal issues but yeah slowly we're seeing that change you know i know the arizona republic they have deb kroll over there and they have you know, an indigenous affairs uh, type desk over there. And mm-hmm. there are a few other organizations. There's this one high country news where they've, you know, been doing this indigenous affairs desk there for a while, for a few years now. So um, there's a little more attention to it now. Um, 
but definitely not where we should be. Yeah, yeah. It seems like, you know, like if, I were, if you were talking about religious issues with Native American, that'd be political. If you talk about water issues with Native American, it'd be political. You know, so it seems like, you know, we always have a tough time coming across with our news about what's going on in our land or in our community. Yeah, and that's why Indian country today is so great as well, because these aren't things we need to have, you know, these, we don't have to have these kind of discussions in our newsroom. Everyone knows that this is important. Everyone mm -hmm. knows that, you know, having clean water is important. Everyone knows how sacred it is. It's not an argument that has to be made, right? So when right. we're covering this and we're talking about water defenders and not protesters, right, mm -hmm. making sure that we're being, you know, very intentional with the language that we're using, so that way, you know, people really understand, you know, the depth of it. It's not just about, you know, having clean drinking water, but it's about, you know, having respect and, you know, protection. And, you know, it's a lot deeper than that a lot of times. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just great to, you know, be able to tell those stories at Indian Country today. But again, other mainstream, you know, local news organizations, you know, should really put more of an emphasis on it. Is there, um, I heard you, I know we met in Tucson during the um, Oak Flat update um, and you were talking about other issues that kind of related to, you know, um, Oak Flat. I think you were talking about even um, um, South America or anything like that. What's going on there? Yeah, there's, you know, always these similar, you know, issues as far as extractive industries go and, mm -hmm. you know, mining and whether it's for you know gold mining or lumber or mm -hmm. another water issue um you know people across the world indigenous communities are facing yeah these issues earlier this year i was able to attend the united nations permanent forum on indigenous issues and that was just such a great opportunity to meet so many people from different parts of the world different communities who are all facing different issues but at the same time you know, they all share a common theme, right? Right. Colonialism, right? Mm -hmm. This imperialist idea, this extractive, um, you know, I guess, um, worldview or, you know, just this way of being that's not consistent with who indigenous people are in our belief systems, right? Right. So it's definitely heartbreaking to see that. And even on an international level, at you know, the world's largest gathering of indigenous leaders to see that there aren't more efforts to make sure that these people are heard, that their issues are yeah. are seen. It's so diluted, you know, it's mm -hmm. very diplomatic and they're there, but it's not at the level it should be, you know. And yeah. I think a lot of people within the system are recognizing that and wanting to push for more. But at the end of the day, there's just such an emphasis on um capitalism on extraction on continuing to live you know in these wasteful ways that we know are harmful to us and to the planet mm -hmm. <clears throat> so i think once people get to that you know realization and and to the point of you know not just realizing that but wanting to change that yeah um you know people have to go through this paradigm shift to get there and um, it takes time you know but i feel like people are definitely learning a lot more and open to those ideas and reprioritizing you know what really matters especially after covid yeah and, and there's just a lot going on you know a lot of you know indigenous people you know just not speaking up you know like australia like there's so many indigenous people you know all over the world that got taken over by you know the 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 queen uh, uh you know the the united kingdom that took over you know so now they're all you know coming out of coming out you know trying to protect yeah. their lands so and it's like crazy to see the similarities too, right? Like you brought up Australia. There's mm -hmm. Aboriginal people there. There's sacred sites there that Rio Tinto, the same company that's, you know, trying to destroy Oak Flat, you know, Resolution Copper, the parent company of Resolution Copper, Rio Tinto, you know, they've destroyed, you know, these very mm -hmm. sacred sites, these very ancient sites. And, you know, you just see the disregard for not only, you know, human you know, decency and just, you know, others' cultures, but just for people's lives, you know, it's just really sad to see how far, you know, this has been allowed to, you know, take it. 
yeah it's dangerous it's scary and people are putting their lives on the line just to advocate for a better life for more education for you know better living conditions um and you know a lot of activists and attorneys and whatnot from across the world they're being murdered or you know put in prison and it's just a it's a story that's you know being told too often now um and you know numbers are increasing when you're looking at different organizations and different you know data sets that they've come up with it's it is very alarming so yeah um, yeah yeah, it's important to talk about there's a lot of like i was talking in the last episode there's a lot of issues like when we talk about land acknowledgement or land you know we want land back it's not to you know prosper on that land it's just to take the land and protect it from you know mining and 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 just environmental issues so i think you know a lot of times when you know non-aids here that we want the land back it's like we want to live on it we don't we just want to protect the, the you know those lands so that's a lot of issues that we have there too you know yeah definitely and that you know reminds me of the episode of res dogs when it starts with the couple the white mm-hmm. couple in the car driving down the street like land back like what do you think they mean all of it <laughs> <laughs> and i think a lot of people they're very concerned to think about that yeah but, I think if people reframe the way they thought about it and, um, you know, and how important it is to, you know, prioritize, you know, the planet and where where we are and how severe the situation is, you know, and take it seriously, Mm -hmm. you know, it wouldn't be so bad of an idea to give the land back to indigenous people because so far we've been doing it one way that's really not working out for us right mm-hmm. so what could we lose by trying something that we know is going to be drastically different but you know something yeah. that is trusted for a lot of you know a lot of communities have have kept their culture alive in different ways shapes and forms especially you know outside of the u.s i feel like there's more um cultural preservation in certain areas so yeah. really tapping into that knowledge you know they've learned this stuff over millennia mm-hmm. so we have to trust it you know we have to respect it and not destroy it you know and erase it because a lot of times people like to think of you know the genocide and all the erasure of culture and assimilation was you know something that happened back then you know something that happened during the boarding school era but that's actively happening right now these attacks are on our communities right now in all these different ways shapes or form whether it's the incarceration or adoption you know these dcs's across different states or custody cases you know whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be the legal system is still murdering indigenous people through Mm -hmm. the lack of protections and laws with vawa with different things you know what i mean yeah these things are still happening their attack on children which is an attack on tribal sovereignty attacks on families you know family separations forced assimilation these things didn't just happen back then they're still actively happening now yes true and you know it's and most of the time especially like with water and all this thing is it's it's money you know like uh whoever's getting paid you know like i know i think i've seen it in one of your uh, tweets before because we follow each other you know like on the news they were talking about saudi arabia saudi um, their water company Saudi was, Arabia yeah, yes they I'm got a so field glad you brought that up. they got a field and they leased water and you know like uh, the residents are really upset about them taking the water from underground but you know no one's upset about how much water is going to be taken out of this mining you know in, in Oak Flat so it's like exactly yeah. it's like they're looking for a scapegoat and it's so easy to look at a foreign nation and be mm-hmm. like that's the problem that's yeah. the enemy they always want a fear monger and you know america is very xenophobic they're mm-hmm. very afraid of foreigners and so quick to to grab onto whatever foreign enemy may be you yeah. know and it's just so crazy to see how people operate like that i understand the frustration over saudi arabia here mm-hmm. but you also have to really put it into context here right right why are they even here the fact that they're doing what they're doing has been legal. They've been doing this for, I know, over a decade. It's yeah. probably been multiple decades. I haven't looked that deep into it. But I remember being in college reading about this stuff happening and being appalled that they had land in Arizona. They had farmlands in mm-hmm. you know, California. I just didn't understand why people weren't talking about this 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. 
But, you know, all of a sudden now we're at this point of like this quote unquote crisis level with actually seeing shortages and having to constantly be coming up with these different plans to try to prop up Lake Mead. But, you know, people weren't talking about this stuff back then. But now all of a sudden, you know, it's convenient to bring up, you know, Saudi Arabia and the land deals and and, you know, this this one that they're trying to get now. And, you know, this is another desert you know, community we're talking about. Yeah. This is someone else that, you know, another country, other people who mm-hmm. have, you know, similar scarcity because by definition, a desert, you know, is scarce, you know, with water. Yeah. And, and they see that and they recognize that. And they also saw an opportunity here. Why are people mad at them for seeing an opportunity? I think it's smart that they yeah. saw that opportunity and took it. I think, <laughs> If I was a Saudi Arabian person, you know, that would be something really interesting to me. But also, you know, I'm I'm not going to be upset at them for doing what they needed to do for their community, what they thought they needed to do. Mm-hmm. I'm indigenous. I appreciate our water and I love our water and I don't want to export our water. Mm-hmm. Believe me, I don't like that's my position on it. But, you know, because that's my position, I'm not going to get mad at Saudi Arabia for exploiting it. There's so mm-hmm. many other people you know, water parks, you know, Wolf Lodge, all these different places here exploit our water. But, yeah. you know, and no one's doing anything. Why are our water laws so lax? Why have have these things been mismanaged for over 150 years now? Mm-hmm. From the beginning of, you know, settlers coming out here and exploring the region. You know, John yeah. Wesley Powell is one of the first ones. He wrapped it all the way down, you know, the Colorado River, and he tried to map it out and was very interested in indigenous communities and mm-hmm. was an interesting guy himself. But, you know, he suggested to these people, to capitalists, to business people, to, you know, government officials to, you know, make sure that these states were, were broken up as far as like their, their basins, you know, and mm-hmm. that way, you know, people had, you know, their own watershed that they had, you know, collective interest in maintaining and, and, you know, creating a community around that, you know, that respected that because the same laws that applied, you know, on the East coast didn't apply out here, you know, as far as farming went, as far as um, different expectations like that go. So he recognized that from the beginning and it was really just ignored and and pushed aside. So, you know, it's not really like Mm -hmm. to me surprising that these things are happening now. Um, But it is unfortunate to see like countries and foreign you know, foreigners being, you know, used in a way that I think is really unfair to sit here and, and say, like, this is so bad and look at what they're doing. Um, you know, look at what our officials have not been doing. Yeah. Let's be mad about that, you know, because that's what would change, you know, what you're really mad at about Saudi Arabia. Yeah. It, it, and it's like, you know, it's still like the wild, wild west here in Arizona, you know, Exactly. You know, people mining, mining for copper and turning, you know, yeah. towns into mining towns. It's just like, you know, in today's age, really you know, we need to do something different than that. And they love that. They don't mm-hmm. want to change that. They love that, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a reputation that they, they definitely feed into and doesn't seem like they have any, <laughs> um, you know, intention yeah. on stopping. And a lot of it has to deal with, you know, I've talked to, um, Representative Raul Grijalva about this years ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, the water issues that the state is facing. And, you know, he just put it very bluntly, you know, these people have very deep pockets. And when they're lobbying, you know, members of, of Congress, these different politicians who are, you know, running for reelection and they're, you know, giving them money for their campaigns, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's set up to be corrupt, you know, it's set up for, for this, you know, to be the way that we continue to live until, you know, people say, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing these things. Maybe we should be looking at things and, um, you know, applying a lot more scrutiny. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's definitely a long way until we get there. But, you know, I see a lot of progress being made, especially, you know, in 2020, there's been a lot of conversations Mm -hmm. and people are recognizing, you know, we deserve better and, yeah. And we got to do something. So I'm yeah. I'm really, you know, it's not all bad. You know, I'm very optimistic about where things are heading. Yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, right in Arizona, we're, we're doing good as a Native, a Native American community. You know, a lot of these tribes, they, uh, 
they help the state out, you know, money and, uh, you know, teacher uh, salaries, things like that. So you know, there's a lot of things that we do in the back that help the state that no one really talks about, you know, that I know that tribes give to the state also. So, you know, we're, we're all trying to help each other. But, you know, like when you get these mining companies that come in that's foreign, that's when everything gets kind of sour, you know. Yeah, especially when it's, you know, this multi international like multinational conglomerate. It's mm -hmm. not just some company. It's a company that is, you know, really perfected this exploitation, this theft and, you know, exploitation of the land and you know, the amount of human rights abuses that come along with that for all the people in the regions, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. It's just very unfortunate, definitely. But Oak Flat has been, you know, a thing that's been going on for so long, as mm -hmm. you know, and and just the fact that your uncle has led, you know, this effort, Wensler, um, very inspiring, you know, your whole family, just very amazing to see that they're, you know, co consistently out there and, you know, speaking, speaking truth and, yeah. you know, not wavering. Yeah. You know, it's very impressive. That's that's the thing that we always try to bring about to everybody is, you know, um, one of the issues is that the you know Oak Flat is not on St. Carl's Reservation, which is, you know, appalling, uh, absurd because you know as as you know, you know, we had all this land out here. You know, we had all of it out. Mm -hmm. to it's ancestral land. It's yeah. ancestral territory. Mm -hmm. There's proof of it everywhere. Yeah, and so us, you know, fighting for something like that. You know, the non-natives are like, why are they fighting that for? It's not on their land. You know, so just things like that we have to deal with too. Also, when you, you know, fight for ancestral land, like you said. Yeah, and it's really hard because there's so many layers of, you know, these social constructs, these ideas of, of you know, what people now believe to be right and wrong or what they believe to be true, right? Mm -hmm. These levels of indoctrination, people are learning about real Native American cultures in their region when they're going to school. They don't know about, you know, Apaches. They don't know about the 22 federally recognized tribes in Arizona. Mm -hmm. They don't know about, you know, how different all the cultures are. Um, and, you know, that makes it really hard when, you know, you're trying to discuss these issues and the importance of them. Mm -hmm. They can only see it as far as it's, you know, been portrayed to them. So it's really having to start with, you know, education, you know, and, yeah. and learning about that and, and taking it from there. Cause, um, you know, they are complicated issues when you consider, you know, the long, you know, historical context here of, of colonial violence, mm -hmm. you know, and just intentional, you know, it's like a psychological violence too, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's just, you know, like, with the mining and, and what's going on today, it just seems like every time, you know, we have, a, you know, we're doing good in the process and something else comes up, you know, and our, you know, maybe another politician got paid from the, you know, from behind or under the desk, you know, and so then we had to fight another politician, you know, to, to battle Oak Flat. It just seems ongoing every time, you know, every time we're going into court. So, yeah. And it's, really you know a legal system that was set up to benefit them right mm -hmm. so they you know that's the way i've seen it you know i've had my own encounters with this legal system that are ongoing and that are troubling and just very reminiscent of you know colonialism and that inner intergenerational trauma you know it's very apparent and still alive and well like i was mentioning before mm -hmm. and so i'm sure you guys see those parallels as well going through your court case and um, you know, it's really a system created by them for them. You know, the way I feel is they make up the rules as they go. They apply the rules as they yeah. see fit, you know, and it's like to have any justice within it, it's just so hard to even come by. And it takes so many different variables to mm -hmm. all align in your way. Right. And, right. And it's really hard. It's very challenging to, to do that. And, and their you know, and their system and their games that were really meant to hurt us to steal from us to mm -hmm. keep us down so you know how can we operate outside of those systems how can we create a future that's going to be something that we need something that provides us with permanent protections with our land with permanent protections you know mm -hmm. how do we do that you know that's how i see things here you know now my own personal life and mm -hmm. and what i'm going through i would love 
to just rely on the legal system and yeah. hope that they just do everything in my favor. But I also am not, you know, naive. I yeah. know the history and I've read so many <laughs> stories, especially being a journalist where yeah. I have to be realistic about my approach here, you know, and understand that I need to exercise, you know, my rights to the fullest extent and, you know, do whatever I can with ever mm-hmm. with everything that I have, you know, and, and just exhaust every avenue, right? That's outside yeah. of the legal system and within it and figure out, you know, what can we do and, and who can I talk to? And, you know, when I'm talking about outside of the legal system, outside of a courtroom, you know, like talking to members of Congress, talking to different organizations who've been working on these kind of things, talking to different people who've been involved in advocating, you know, and so talking to them about what they see as an issue as well and telling them my story, hearing their stories, learning about what other people are doing to address these same issues, you know, and I think a, a lot of that applies to my situation and also with Oak Flat, you know, I mm. know there's a lot of other tribes who've done the same thing and, you know, efforts to protect, you know, sacred areas and especially like the Ohlone in the Bay Area. Uh, there was actually a woman also named Corina. <laughs> she spelled her name KO, but she was kind of leading efforts out there to protect from developers from destroying something that was very sacred and Mm -hmm. had you know a long history there and um you know you just see this all too often you know everywhere from coast you know to coast even in the east coast on the hamptons you know in the southampton area the shinnecock nation um you know they're constantly fighting the very you know same issues that we're all talking about now and even just to access a beach not even asking for the land back but hey like why are we being targeted here when this has been our ancestral territory and, you know, being told they're, they're doing illegal things when, you know, that, you know, shouldn't be the case, especially not for them. Um, so, yeah. So yeah, it's just interesting to see, you know, the common threads throughout the different, you know, cases, the different stories. Have you ever been like challenged as a journalist, you know, when you're doing interviews or any kind of, you know, um, blowback at what you're doing or anything like that as a Native American journalist? Yeah, I'm actually facing a few challenges and some stories that I'm working on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just very different than, you know, everything I feel like I've done pretty, you know, yeah. up until now has been pretty straightforward for yeah. the most part. And, you know, things take some time and things will take some digging, but I've never been really conflicted in this way and it has to do with, you know, people, as we have mentioned before in this conversation earlier, just people who've been, you know, stolen from community, people Mm -hmm. who've been forcefully assimilated, people who have identity issues, um, people who don't have a connection to culture um, and, you know, telling stories, you know, about people like that. Yeah. I think that's important. I think that's interesting. And I'm, you know, currently facing some issues with with one story I really want to tell. And, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, this individual will realize the importance, you know, their story and be willing to share it. But, um, you know, these are very sensitive topics. Identity is a very sensitive topic. So Mm -hmm. it has been challenging trying to navigate that, you know, and how I approach that and, and, you know, if I do get a green light, you know, how do I go about telling that story appropriately, you know, telling it accurately mm-hmm. um, and being careful to not um, offend someone, you know, who might have a very different experience, you know, than my own. So, yeah. So that's been a challenge. Um, and then also just, you know, talking about other stories similar, you know, to my own. Oh, yeah. Um, legal system issues things that resonate with me um it's triggering yeah it's really sad and and even things that aren't similar to my story but you know a lot worse Mm -hmm. like people who've been murdered you know homicides gun violence um Mm -hmm. people who you know have died and deaths haven't been properly investigated and they think that you know because this person was friends with the detectives like they're not gonna be investigated and arrested you know and Mm. and hearing you know things like this you know are really 
really concerning to me. I I feel so bad. There's a woman, Karen Caps, who's been telling me about her sister Carol, who was murdered in Montana, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's just very alarming. A lot of the things that she's brought up, and just trying to be careful. And you know, how do we tell these stories? And and being strategic. You know, how do I reach out to yeah. some of these uh, agencies or departments when? Um, they're, you know, still, they still have a case that's open. They still have, um, you know, early on in the process, you know, there were issues with, you know, the morgue and what morgue she was at and the information the sister was being told. And, you know, I didn't want to, you know, ruffle any feathers and things like that when, you know, the things are so delicate as it is. Um, but it's also, you know, I feel so bad for this family and, they just feel such a, a level of injustice and mm-hmm. and they have nowhere to turn. They feel so helpless. So yeah. just hearing stories like that, you know, on a consistent, you know, very regular basis is yeah. like not not great, but it also really helps put things into perspective for me and it makes me feel um, you know, very glad that people yeah. want to share that with me, you know, and that they trust me to tell their stories for them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in that sense, <laughs> I just definitely feel like very honored to have that kind of responsibility. But it's also um, it can be, you know, pressure. It can yeah. be a little bit of a challenge because, you know, I do want to tell some of these stories and some of them might be a challenge and it takes a little longer to tell than others. And mm-hmm. and some of them, you know, you have to kind of um you know, tell a little sooner. So just trying to navigate, you know, that also. And um, yeah, things can be really delicate when it comes to those kind of cases and those kind of stories. So, yeah. So that's been a challenge as well. Um, But yeah, it's been great. You know, it's definitely helping me grow as a journalist and learn a lot. Yeah. I mean, like what you're doing as a journalist, that's, that's a lot of work, you know, it's, you know, especially being an American and dealing with all this issues, you know, like the MMIW, the murdered indigenous women, you know, and, the culture and religion it just i mean it'd be easy for you you were like you know you're reporting on the state fair or the salsa contest you know and things like that you know but you're doing like you know real journalism to help your community your people you know and mental health and things like that you know it's i know it's challenging so yeah yeah it really is um but again like i said like it's it's a responsibility and I'm really, <laughs> I yeah. feel really glad. Like it's, yeah. I mean, it sounds so weird to say that, right? Cause I'm talking about death and yeah. crazy stuff and these crazy cases. And there's always some really wild stuff happening to mm-hmm. say it as nicely as I can. Yeah. And, and it's disheartening, you know, and to, to be able to tell the stories, it is challenging. Yeah. Um, you know, especially cause so much of it, as you mentioned before, it's tribal sovereignty. It's related to, not just you know our communities and our stories but also a lot of politics mm-hmm. and a lot of lawsuits there's yeah. so many lawsuits so many of the stories are about lawsuits <laughs> yeah so it it is and there's you know a lot of documents there's you know heavy reading sometimes but um you know it is enjoyable to be able to kind of dive into a story and to be able to learn something new you know yeah. always constantly constantly learning new stuff and i find that so so valuable you know and and more than that just to learn about the different cultures to talk to the different people different tribes Mm -hmm. um you know i just find that you know so inspiring and so motivational and you know definitely (laughs) keeps me going for sure and (laughs) and like i said you know everyone's got very different cultures very rich cultures but a lot of very you know similar things similar values similar principles mm-hmm. uh similar ways of being and ideas of being you know and yeah. and ways of thinking about health as far as physical health mental yeah. health spiritual health you know so many tribes prioritize that spiritual element and just to consistently hear that you know mm-hmm. and you know really reinforces um you know why we're why we're doing this hard work yeah it do you know like um what my how young you were when you felt like this is something you wanted to do was that early you know or did that was that in college or when did you yeah. start to think about doing this yeah well i really made the decision to do it you know as a career when i was 
trying to figure out what I wanted to go to college for when I was in high school. But even before that, um, you know, what was really interesting to me was, you know, I was an only child and, um, you know, my mom's only child, but my dad had two other children and I was seven when my brother was born. So I had to be younger than seven. I was probably about five or six. And yeah, I was just interested in in like knowing like, what is it like to have a sibling and like just so curious. And Mm -hmm. I remember interviewing my cousins and asking them and they couldn't be like less interested in what I was talking about. Like they really just did not care at all. And uh, I just remember asking, like, what is it like to have a brother? Like, what is it like to have a sister? And I remember asking my cousin, Angelique, and she was just, like, looking, like, making little mud pies, like, mm-hmm. so unbothered by what I'm saying. Like, she's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, not a great interview. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's okay. But I remember being really interested at that point. And yeah. I think it was just, you know, and connecting and talking to people mm-hmm. and, you know, learning about, you know, the way other people, you know, deal with things or, you know, their stories or whatever. So mm-hmm. I think that was always just kind of an interest of mine. And it grew from there. You know, I definitely had a lot of influence when I was in elementary school and some teachers there at Lawrence that, you know, really helped, you know, motivate me, I guess. Like maybe mm-hmm. that had always been in the back of my mind and I yeah. didn't really even remember. But, you know, I remember running a little teleprompter and oh. uh, looking back on a yearbook where, you know, my teacher was like, oh, you were a great, you know, tech or tech assistant or something. Like, Keep up the good work and, you know, just little stuff like that. And what really was one of the things <laughs> was I remember... You know, I used to watch the very old 90210 <laughs> with my mom. <laughs> yeah. And I remember being in high school, you know, my very first year registering for classes. And my mom's like, look at all these electives. And she's like reading them off. And I was like, oh, well, what's that one? And it was like beginning journalism. And she's like, oh, that's like what Brandon did in high school, like the newspaper. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay, that seems kind of cool. Like, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's, um, yeah, it was like, Brandon was cool. I like, you know, what he was doing seemed fun. (laughs) So I I definitely had a little bit of influence from there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But that, you know, was something I had already, I think, been really drawn to even before that. Yeah. um, Just something that I really enjoyed in high school, especially because, you know, newsrooms love to eat. Newsrooms love to snack. And there was plenty <laughs> of snacks in that class. So I yeah. love that about it. But yeah. yeah, it was a great time. You know, I was doing, um, you know, reporting and a lot of sports reporting mm-hmm. and was doing a little bit of editing and, you know, learned how to use software like Adobe InDesign and layout pages and stuff like that. So it was a really good time. I learned how to do a lot there. You know, it really gave me the foundation I needed because when I got to college, I was like, I already know all of this. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm not learning anything new. But when I started handling cameras, you know, all of that was new and, and that was really good and beneficial. But, um, you know, obviously, you know, learning stats and learning, you know, different sciences and histories was was really great and beneficial as well. But, yeah. Yeah, with the college stuff, like Crockett's a great school, you know, and they teach people a lot. But I just had, you know, really good foundation from Tucson High work uh, for the Cactus Chronicle. That was the the quarterly, I think it was quarterly newspaper that we did mm-hmm. um, or maybe it was monthly. But yeah, it was really fun. It was a great time to do that in high school. And, you know, it really helped me, you know, kind of see my future and like yeah. path, like like paved that path before I even really knew that was the direction I wanted to head in. And I was just so thankful because so many of my, my friends and just other, you know, kids and students in school, I could tell were struggling with, well, what do I do or what do I want to do? And no one really knowing, you know, as far as job wise or school or trade or any kind of thing, you know, I Mm -hmm. just felt very, very lucky that I wasn't struggling. Like I already knew what I wanted and it was already kind of like, something I was you know set my heart on and was was good and didn't have to <laughs> struggle with and contemplate with so I feel really lucky in that regard did uh do you remember like maybe your first like um we dove into some Native American issues like what was your first story or anything like that um the first story it might have been 
Oak Flat. Oh. Um, it might have. Yeah, because, you know, in school and high school, it was, you know, really just sports. And then even in college, I mm-hmm. was doing all sports up until my very last year of college in 2015. Um, I was working in the Cronkite newsroom. I was working for the Reynolds Business Reynolds Business Bureau. It was brand new. It had just, um, you know, been established, and um, it was a great, it was a great, you know, opportunity. And so, you know, we were reporting on different business stories, mm-hmm. and I had been asked to go cover like a tourism it was like a native american like tourism promotion type thing in scottsdale um but that's when i met some people who were from um san carlos and they said you know you really need to know about this you really need to go out there and report on this issue so i said okay because i hadn't heard about it before then so that's when i started you know learning about oak flat and the history and trying to convince you know my my newsroom that this was a story that was important and it was business mm-hmm. related right this is right. a multinational corporation that we're talking about there's mm-hmm. definitely some business aspects of it even if i'm telling it from the indigenous perspective right right so so that took a little convincing on that side um so i guess the first story was maybe that tourism one but I don't really count that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was assigned to me. That was yeah. something I asked to do. But the first one that I really pitched and really pushed for and initially got pushback on. And then, you know, I was persistent, reworked my pitch, went in there again. And, and they were responsive to it the second time, even more so than I thought, because they didn't just send me by myself. They wanted to send a broadcast reporter as well. So we went out there together. Um, so I thought that was cool, you know, to be able to... Um, continue to bring it up and, yeah. and to be a little persistent. And even if I did get a little pushback, I was really gl- glad that my professor, um, you know, saw, you know, why it was important. And not only that, you know, really realized just how important it was and took it a step farther to even send, you know, two reporters rather than just, you know, one digital one. So, yeah. so it was great, but yeah. And that was, you know, when my whole experience with, you know, Oak Flat and that was the first year I met your uncle Wensler. That was uh, 2015. Yeah. And yeah, it was, you know, really interesting to go out there and, and learn about it. So just very honored to have been there and to have, you know, talked to your nieces and, and mm-hmm. your uncle and, you know, way before they had even went on any of the caravans or any of yeah. that before it was really, you know, more, national and more known than it is today so it was you know a great opportunity and i saw a lot of other media outlets there mm-hmm. um i know i don't think they exist anymore but i think al jazeera america was there yes or maybe it was just a regular one but um there were some other like local phoenix ones that had made it out there as well so it was good to see that they were getting some media coverage even if it was not enough um it was just good to see the other outlets had saw that this was an important story as well yeah i seen a lot um you know when that during that time a lot came out on you know vice and and uh, a lot of networks were there to put out the story you know like i said the only time i ever heard it on local news is when you know uh, oak flat got vandalized a couple times and that's the time i heard it you know you would see oak flat on there but other than that it was more you know cbs or you know um, vice they came out so uh, it definitely got a lot more attention later on, you know, as the fight continued. But we're still going on. But they're also because like, mm-hmm. um, so they're actually the strongholds actually out there uh, Tuesday. I guess they could reconsider the Oak Flat uh, appeal. So hopefully that goes well and see, you know, because they took a caravan out there. And yes, I saw yeah. that. That's amazing. That's great. So yeah, hopefully. always trying to send, you know, positive energy out to to them and, you know, all the other indigenous communities who are fighting for their ancestral land, their ancestral territories, mm-hmm. you know, especially their ancestors and remains and, you know, sacred items, you know, whatever the yeah. case may be. There's uh, a lot of unity, you know, and we could all benefit by, um, you know, communicating with each other more. Yes. Definitely. And then there's a lot of other things like, you know, like mental health for Native Americans, you know, and a lot of things that mm-hmm. goes on in our in our communities that we're dealing with right now. Like I would say, we're always, you know, we're always trying. Uh, we're surviving every day, you know, 
like we're still here you know even though all these laws and everything that goes through we're still we're still here we're still fighting you know we're still fighting for non-natives for their water and their water rights and land Mm -hmm. so we're always we're always you know protecting the environment every day seems like yeah absolutely just you know like the name of the podcast fight for existence (laughs) yeah it's unfortunate but that is the reality you know as an indigenous person in a in a space that wasn't created for us to win Mm -hmm. you know it was created to do the opposite so how do you navigate through that you know how do you approach all these different layers of trauma and issues holistically as you said yeah um i think everyone's learning every day you know how to cope and what you know is best for them in their situation but it's hard you know they don't make it easy it's it's made to be hard so yeah um thank you so much for having me on i Uh, really appreciate it thank you for coming on and thanks for everything you do especially in indian country today is one of my favorite websites and you know um, i'll make sure when this uh, podcast goes up tomorrow i'll have all your links on there you know so everyone can see uh all your articles or you know anything you have on youtube so but uh thanks for everything you do and you know, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, we'll see you again. Okay. We'll probably in the next old flat update or I'll see you. I'll see you down in Tucson or something like that. When yeah, it comes definitely. Okay, great. Take uh, care. I appreciate it. All right. Thank, thank you, Karina. Okay. Thank all right, you. Bye. All right. Well, that's um, Karina. She, I met her out in Tucson and um, she was a reporter and had a lot of questions and a lot of you know information and it was good to hear her talk. So um, to see her out there, it was it was it was pretty good. So uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, we got another episode coming up probably this week. Uh, give you an update on what's going on in San Francisco with Oak Flat. The Stronghold Caravan is out. Patch Stronghold Caravan is out there. So uh, thank you very much for listening, and uh, hope you guys have a good day. Be safe. Thank you.